our image of what a hiker looks like or an adventurer is usually, you know, like a, a rugged white male out in the middle of the woods or canoeing by himself. And it's really not an image that I had growing up in my own family. Hi, my name is Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. My guest today is Amanda E. Machado, a writer based in Oakland, California. She loves to explore new places just as much as I do, especially in the great outdoors. She's been hiking, camping, and backpacking all around the globe, in Peru, Chile, and South Africa, just to name a few countries. But as a child, she had a picture of a stereotypical outdoorsy person in her mind, and it wasn't someone who looked like her. Amanda's parents came to the United States from Ecuador and Mexico, and she grew up in Florida. After college, she spent six months exploring South America. Traveling the world has allowed her to connect with new cultures, but it's helped her understand her own identity better, too. Amanda's experiences abroad have shown her that outdoor adventures aren't just a white guy thing. For example, when she hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, she was reminded that her indigenous ancestors have been climbing mountains for centuries. Amanda is passionate about changing perceptions of who belongs in the outdoors. And so am I. We had a lot to talk about. My name is Amanda E. Machado, and a lot of my work deals with the intersections between travel, the outdoors, and the environment, and social justice. A lot of traditional travel and outdoor adventure media often overlooks issues of social justice or identity, power, and privilege. So through my work, I aim to confront those topics head on and really find a balance between how travel can be an individually empowering thing while also acknowledging the other power dynamics that are present in those spaces. In an essay for The Atlantic called Traveling While Latino, Amanda reflected on a question that comes up a lot during her travels. Where are you from? It's hard for her to give a definitive answer. Talk to me about how your travel experiences have impacted the way you understand your own identity as a Latina and the daughter of immigrants. When I first went back to my parents' countries when I was really young, whenever I would go to Ecuador and Mexico, it was a weird situation of kind of being American and then also kind of being Ecuadorian and not really being Ecuadorian enough, but also not being American enough. And I think those experiences just made me realize that travel and identity are kind of inextricable, like there's no way to separate those two things and, and how you learn about yourself and how you consider yourself, how you're perceived by other people when you're traveling makes a difference on the experiences you're having um, and the conversations you can have with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I see that you've lived in places like Cape Town, Havana, Mexico City, Berlin, and Rio. That's quite extensive experience living <laughs> abroad. Tell me about some of the experiences you've had while living in these places that are more memorable than others? I wish I could have spent more time in each of those places. In some of those places, I'd only stayed for one month or three months. But I think all of those experiences made me, again, realize a lot about how my identity as a person of color in the United States shifts when I go abroad and how my primary identity actually in a lot of those places was as an American. A lot of what I learned in a lot of those countries was how my identity was shaped through living in the United States in a way that would be different if I had lived somewhere else. There's a lot of 
Western privilege that I had to acknowledge and also U.S. passport privilege and how many opportunities were given to me to travel in the first place through a U.S. passport. And once I traveled in Latin America, lived in Latin America and lived in Africa as well, you start to realize there's other (laughs) frameworks of thinking and other narratives that we weren't necessarily being told in the United States. Yes. And then again, when I studied abroad in Cape Town, Cape Town is kind of a a perfect city to explore the outdoors. It has the beach, it has the mountains right there in the middle of the city. So I would go on hiking trips all the time and camping trips all the time and just like hike after school for a few hours with the mountain right there. That's when it also became a super, a super big part of my identity and something that I wanted to keep exploring. And then once I took a year off to travel, um, I started that trip by backpacking through South America for six months. Absolutely. Uh, You and I have something in common. We are both huge lovers of the great outdoors. Yeah. When was your first camping trip? What are some of your first outdoor adventures like and where did they take place? So I grew up in Florida, so there was a lot of outdoors in terms of the beach, but it's a pretty flat state. So there was nothing in terms of hiking or, or mountains. That was something I had to explore and experience later on. So my first backpacking camping trip was in the White Mountains in New Hampshire when I was 19. And it was through this college-sponsored trip where they uh, gave funding for materials, the backpack, the tent, everything, and had you go with these two guides that would teach you everything you needed to know about living out in the wilderness. It was really intense and really scary and really uncomfortable, but also really fun. And after going on that trip, that's when I realized that's something that I've been wanting to do more. If your parents don't have the experience, it's hard for them to to show you or to, you know, give you the opportunity to go to a place that they're not familiar with. I know, especially in the African-American community, if we don't necessarily have the access to the pools and the great outdoors, the last thing that, you know, we're going to do is say, go camping. Another cultural thing, especially with the Latino community that I've seen, is that when you have families who, like, associate the outdoors with farm work and labor that they are trying to escape, then it seems kind of silly then to use the outdoors as something you would do for leisure. So I know my family, when I first told them I was going to sleep outside for 10 days, they were very confused about like, wait, like we worked all our life to put a roof over your head. And now you're telling us you don't want to live under that roof. You want to go camp, you know, like out in the middle of nowhere. Tell me about it. Once I started really researching this, a lot of the places that were, that we consider super outdoorsy now have really tough, unjust racial histories. A lot of pools, a lot of national parks were segregated for a really long time. So it's not like the culture comes out of nowhere. I totally know and agree with what you're talking about. There's people who live, you know, I'm from the south side of Chicago, who've never been to the beach before, you know, or to the lake and and things like that. It's very ingrained within our communities as well. A lot of studies have shown that People of color live in neighborhoods where there's less access to parks and outdoors than white communities. Before I started traveling, I worked as a teacher. Most of my students were predominantly low-income students of color, and they lived outside of Oakland, and a few of them had never even been to the beach. And a ton of them had never been to Yosemite, which was only two or three hours away. Even if it's nearby, if you don't have a car, if you don't have free time, if your parents don't have the time to, to take you to those places, there still is those barriers to accessing nature and then, like I said, building a relationship with it. It's a privilege to spend time getting lost and wandering and exploring around the world, right? And for a really long time, that was a predominantly white, wealthy privilege. Thankfully, that's starting to change. But I think with that, the representation has to has to change out also, right? Women of color 
people of color deserve those same moments of self-actualization and transformation and adventure and having wild and free lives. That's something that, that everybody deserves. But for a long time, that wasn't possible. That's one reason why Amanda and I share our stories, to show that we belong outside too. She's had some truly amazing adventures, including a trek through the Andes and a close encounter with a baboon in South Africa. We'll hear more about that right after the break. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to Let's Go Together from Travel and Leisure. I'm Kelly Edwards. My guest today, Amanda E. Machado, is a writer who has charted quite a path, symbolically, as a Latina outdoors woman and literally from Peru to the Cape of Good Hope in Africa. She's made connections with her heritage along the way, but especially on her adventures in the Andes, hiking the Inca Trail. Tourists typically take four days to do it. You climb steep terrain through the cloud forest to reach the ancient city of Machu Picchu. You really earn those sweeping mountain views. Going on the Machu Picchu Trail was a really beautiful way of, again, reconnecting with indigenous culture in that area. In the United States, I had heard of the Incan Empire a little bit, but I felt like much of the education that I had in the U.S. was really focused on Europe and the United States, Western civilizations. Traveling on that trail and just seeing what people on that trail were able to accomplish and build um, was super empowering and new. It was something that I hadn't really learned in, in traditional education growing up. At the time that I went, I found it to just be a very personally nourishing experience of, of connecting with my father's culture. Indigenous people lived in the mountains and were hiking from mountain to mountain every day out of necessity. There was a group that I learned about called the Chaskis, I think, which were Incan people who had to run through the Andes to send messages or supplies, and they could do the Machu Picchu Trail in like a day running. So it was interesting to learn that history and realize that, you know, we do this now as tourists um, and we struggle (laughs) doing that hike in four days with all of our gear. And indigenous people used to run it barefoot sometimes. And that was just an empowering thing to realize again, too, that like growing up and hearing that only white people hike just seemed like a really silly statement (laughs) after learning that history, right? Like, you know, there's a reason why tourists hire indigenous people as porters when they're doing the Machu Picchu Trail. Or in the Himalayas, we see this as well. With the Sherpas. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So they're the experts. They know the land better than than we do. Um, So it's something that I, I also really thought about once I returned to the United States, that like we really have to change the narrative of who's leading the outdoor movement, because it's usually been indigenous people for a really long time. Let's talk about the gender element. You wrote about how 
your family saw Latina womanhood and femininity and the great outdoors wasn't a part of it. Yeah. I was brought up to think of myself as something kind of delicate. I don't know. I think there's like something about how women are often brought up. I don't think necessarily intentionally, but you know, the emphasis is often how are they going to be taken care of, not how we are going to take care of ourselves. And my parents, lots of other people were really nervous when I was out hiking by myself. It, it takes a kind of reframing um, to think of yourself as someone that's going to be fully in charge of, of that. Um, and the outdoors, I think it has helped me push against that and not see myself in that way and, and trust that um, I have the strength to do that myself. I think at the end of the day, people don't think, or it seems like people don't think women are strong enough to withstand the conditions. And that is so far from the truth. I know for me personally, don't tell me that I don't belong in a place. Don't tell me I can't do something because that is absolutely when I'm going to show up, even if it kills me, just to prove that I belong here too. I also appreciate that at this point, it feels like women don't have to prove as much, you know, that we have to like look just like men or be just like men, or I don't know, just like fit this one stereotype of what an outdoorsy person looks like, that we can make that more nuanced and more complicated. And strength means a lot of different things and looks different ways. Here's an example I love. Amanda was on a backpacking trip when one of the leaders pulled out a pair of earrings she called her backcountry hoops. And it was great. She was in like all this like classic outdoorsy gear cooking on this camping stove in the middle of nowhere in the woods. And she had these huge gold hoops on and it was fantastic. I love that. I love that. It It's okay to, I feel like you as women, we don't have to compromise our femininity just because we're in the great outdoors. Like they can go hand in hand. And so, yes, I'm adamant about my lipstick. My nails are still always done. I get gels because they last longer. Like I plan and plot behind everything that I do. And so backcountry earrings may be something that I have to add to the repertoire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, it's just trying to, you know, uh, originally the idea was just to abolish the stereotype of the white rugged male outdoorsman. But I think now we can do, you know, we can abolish that stereotype by doing whatever we want, you know, and making space for any kind of expression or presentation when you're outside. What are some of your most powerful experiences in nature that you've had? Oof, there's so many. The first thing that comes to mind is going to Torres del Paine National Park, the circuit backpacking trip, which I think was around nine days, which at the time was the longest I had ever gone backpacking before in my life. And where is that park located? Torres del Paine National Park is in Chile. It's on the southern, it's in southern Patagonia in Chile. I was in a place camping where the, uh, the sky was clear enough to actually see it. And it was a really transformative moment for me. I had no idea that you could view the Milky Way um, from camping. And I had never seen the sky that bright before. And realizing now, I mean, I've seen the Milky Way now multiple times. That has become a normal part of my life in a way that it took me so long to, to even view that for the first time. So moments like that also feel, feel really powerful for me. It's great. And so it's very important, I feel, to have, you know, people of color in the great outdoors, you know, sharing their stories and basically saying, hey, we can lead trips too. you know, we have the experience, the know how, the wherewithal, you know, the grit, (laughs) you know, obviously from a lot of our history 
to know that we can be triumphant in a lot of things, including the great outdoors. So I've got a couple of lightning round questions. What's something that you never travel without? Your best travel meal and maybe the craziest or weirdest travel story. (laughs) One thing I never travel without is my journal. I've been journaling since I was 15. And so even on backpacking trips, it's the bulkiest thing in my backpack that weighs a lot and completely irrational. Um, But I can't uh, travel without it. My best meal abroad, I think would probably be a ceviche that I had in Lima, Peru. Oh, I agree. Oh my gosh. So good. Still to this day, the best thing I've ever had. And then what was the last question? Weirdest travel story? Yeah. The craziest or weirdest travel experience you've had. Oh my gosh. I was like semi-attacked by a baboon once (laughs) 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 when I was studying abroad in Cape Town. We were going to go swim in a lake and I didn't want to change in front of everyone. So I I went to this like kind of cave-ish place to like change into my bathing suit. And that already sounds like an issue. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I went and I got into my bathing suit and thankfully I'd already put it on. I was just about to leave. And then I heard people yelling from the group, but I couldn't really hear what they were saying. Now I know they were yelling baboon. Wow. (laughs) And then I looked behind me and there was a baboon charging at me. I think I was probably in the place he was trying to live or be, and that's why he was angry, but he was just... They're super territorial. So I just like bolted. (laughs) I had never run so fast in my life, jumped out of this cave (laughs) running, and then thankfully the rest of the group by that point had seen him running towards me this whole time, right? They were trying to warn me. So they had sticks and rocks and just like they saved the day. They just started throwing things towards him and that scared him off and, and then he ran off, but... Yeah, that's probably my closest near-death experience while traveling for sure. Listen, baboons are no joke. Like, if you just look at their, <laughs> they have these really beautiful faces. But when they are angry, that face turns into something. Yeah, it's terrifying. I've never had to run away from a baboon. But like Amanda, I've gotten into some pretty dicey situations in my travels. And we've both lived to tell and even laugh about them. How does it feel to be fully in charge? I know for me, hmm, super empowering. Like you can't tell me nothing. I put on that my my backpack is like my cape. It's like as soon as I strap that sucker on, it's on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels great. What advice do you have for anyone who is interested in hiking, camping, backpacking, but doesn't necessarily see themselves represented in the outdoors? Yeah, I would say that now, thankfully, with social media, there's a lot more. Uh, If you keep searching, it's still difficult to find sometimes. But I think now it's more possible to see those role models and read blogs and listen to podcasts like this one and learn from other people who've done this before. And I'm hoping that over the next few years, that just gets better and better so people don't have to search so hard to find people like them doing the things we're doing. And I think just to to find a way to acknowledge that everybody feels afraid <laughs> before they do all these things. I was terrified before I took time off to travel. And I'm terrified still every time I go on a big adventure, but always feel grateful when I come back that I challenge myself to kind of push through that uh, discomfort. So that's always my advice to people who are nervous about it, that that's a totally normal feeling. And the only way to to do it anyway is to do it anyway. One foot in front of the other. (laughs) 
one foot in front of the other on the trail. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your experiences, stories, and your time. I just really appreciate you being here. And I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards. You can find Amanda's writing online at amandaemachado.com. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Susie Armitage, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Cheryl Duvall. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, and on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag. And if you're looking for me, I'm Kelly Set Go Everywhere. And that's Kelly with two E's on the end.